0: If you've been in that kind of financial or emotional circumstance, then you might have asked a question like this, Lord, what are you stripping away from me? That's the question I wrote down on a sticky note about three weeks ago, right? After going through a a season of uh, months leading up to, but then some intense weeks, just kind kind of getting to the point of saying, I... I feel like you're taking everything away why and it got crystallized in that prayer written down on a sticky note Lord what are you stripping away from me and over the past two or three weeks I've had conversations with at least three people who are like you know I'm asking that same question or unprompted they would use that same language to tell me where they are right now and I'd be able to say you too <laughs> we're in that place the The book of Ruth follows several main characters. One of them is a woman named Naomi. And as you read this book, she has everything stripped away from her. She goes to a foreign country, Moab, because there's a famine in her town of Bethlehem in Israel. Her husband dies there. Her two sons die there. She is a woman who is asking, Lord, why is everything being stripped away from me? One of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, out of this incredible loyal love, chooses to stay with Naomi as she returns back to her home in Bethlehem. She hears the famine has ended. Ruth volunteers to go with her, not knowing what the road ahead might be like. And today we'll read the story in the last chapter of this short book. It's four chapters long. We'll hear how God used the loyal love of a man named Boaz to provide security for these widows, Naomi and her daughter in law, Ruth. And we'll hear how God uses the love between Ruth and Boaz to raise up a king for his people, King David. His name is mentioned at the very end of the scripture text we'll hear read this morning. It's mentioned, it's the very last word in the whole book of Ruth. This is important. God is using the loyal love between this couple to raise up a king for his people. We keep reading the story of the scriptures. We get to Matthew's gospel, the very beginning of the New Testament. The very first verse, we read that Jesus is the son of David And a few verses later, Matthew tells us that Jesus descends from the family line of Boaz and Ruth. At least Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, did. So we're reading here a glimpse of what life that's consistent with the rule of God's king whether in one era that's King David or King Jesus centuries later. What does life consistent with the rule of God's king look like? And one answer is it involves looking for God's work in our world even when our circumstances say he's stripping everything away from us. Even when our circumstances say he's against us, he's left us, he is gone, Life under the king means learning to look for the ways that he remains faithfully at work in our world and in our lives. That's what we'll do together today as we reflect on scriptures from Ruth chapter 4. James, will you read for us? Thank you.
1: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ruth, chapter four, verses seven through 17. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elamelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, we live in the information age, the digital era. We are bombarded with information continually. Much of that information takes the form of words. So there's a danger that we would just dismiss what we're hearing today as more words. Convince us that you are not interested in bombarding us with more information. You want to woo us to yourself, draw us to yourself. You want transformation. Help us to be open to that as we hear by the power of the Holy Spirit good news about what you're doing in our world and what you've done through your son Jesus. Amen. God's goodness is gone from my life. That, that's, something, that's something that nobody who believes in God would ever want to have to say. That's something you would never want to have to hear someone else say. And yet, as we read this book of Ruth, we come across that in the first chapter, Naomi, having endured so much pain and suffering and disruption in her life, she returns to her hometown, Bethlehem, and she says essentially that, God's goodness is gone from my life. Don't call me Naomi. That's a, that's a name that means lovely, pleasant. Call me Mara. That's a word that means bitter because God has treated me in very bitter ways. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's Ruth chapter one, verse 21. I went away full and he has caused me to return with so much less than I had. He has stripped everything away. His goodness is gone from my life. One of the reasons I love the Bible is because of that kind of honesty. If we were making the Bible say what we wanted it to say, we would soften that. Right? Instead, what we see is a major character in the backstory of the king. King David and eventually King Jesus. A major figure, Naomi, in the backstory of the king says openly, when I look at the world, I do see God at work, but I don't see his goodness. I see him at work in ways that are bitter toward me and in ways that leave me drained dry, empty. you know in a dictatorship you're not allowed to say anything bad about the dictator there are censors who write that kind of stuff out but you don't find that in the scriptures god's not a dictator the holy spirit doesn't censor the truth and so we find things like that just allowed to stand it's one of the things we love about the scriptures that honesty now Maybe Naomi's perspective on the world and on God's work in it is true, or maybe not. It raises the question, how does God work in the world? What kinds of purposes is he working for? How does he work to accomplish those purposes? How could you and I be a part of what he's doing in the world? Let's answer those questions together today. We'll start with that first. What kinds of purposes is God working to accomplish in the world? Very briefly, I would put it this way, purposes of grace to restore life. Grace is kind of the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament word chesed. You heard Luke say that earlier. Luke may need to change his mask after properly pronouncing chesed with a mask on, don't try it at home. Um, it's a word that is translated loving kindness in some English translations. Uh, faithful love, steadfast love. Um, some people translate it with you know undying love, uh, mercy. Uh, covenant faithfulness, you would hear translation sometime. It is a loyal love that goes beyond what is required because it's given freely. It's, it's not merited, it's not earned, it's not deserved. So it's not a response to some requirement. Oh, you did this to earn it, so now I'm required to respond. Chesed, grace, is loyal love that goes beyond that. It's not based on duty or expectations. It is given with a freedom and therefore an extravagance that goes beyond everything that could be expected. And God gives that kind of grace, that kind of chesed, that kind of loyal love to people in a world that robs us of life. And that's how the entire book of Ruth opens. There's famine that's robbing people of food and therefore of survival. Into this family comes death as Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And then her two sons die. And with their death comes the the death of any hope that she might have for the future, for her and for her two daughters-in-law. A woman in ancient Israel without a husband, without a son to care for her in her old age has zero prospects for the future. What will happen to this family line There's a plot of land in Israel that this family was supposed to tend and work and nurture to be part of something bigger God was doing. What will happen to it? Those questions are raised as this fallen world is robbing this family of life and then God steps in with his purposes of grace to restore life. There are many places in the book of Ruth where people express prayers or wishes or hopes of what God might do in the future but there are only 3 places in the book of Ruth where where God is said to actually do something that he did something and those 3 places one of them is in Naomi's uh, speech which we already referred to she says God dealt with me in a bitter way. She says, God sent me away full and brought me back empty. That's one perspective on something God has actually done in the world. The other two places where the narrator, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says what God does, instead speaks of how God works to restore life. Ruth 1, 6. He gives food in a time of famine. Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Why? She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Using this important verb, give. God gave the gift of food to restore life in a time of famine. Now, you and I might look at, look at that and say, that's not God working in the world. That's just farming. That's just a bunch of Israelite farmers hitching their oxen up to the plows and dropping seeds in the ground. And because of science, rain fell at the right time. And then there was food where there wasn't any before. So the famine ended because farming. And here is God saying to us, don't look at the world that way. God is giving a gift every time food grows from the ground. Without it, there would be only starvation and death. God is at work in our world. It's not just farming. It's God's kindness at work, his purposes of grace, working to restore life. There's one other place in the book of Ruth where a statement is made about something God has done. And it comes in the words that James read to us earlier. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave, same verb, give, that we saw back in chapter 1. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And we might say... That's not God working in the world. That's just biology. That's just human reproduction. That's just what happens when a husband and wife engage in this kind of intimate physical activity. God's not part of this. Do you think Jesus who said God knows every little bird that flies through the air and notices when each one falls from the sky would have us look at the world that way? It's just biology, it's just nature. Those are just birds. You know, Jesus would say, look at the flowers of the field and look how God clothes them in radiant glory and splendor. Don't you believe he cares for you? I don't think Jesus would say, ah, it's just biology. That's just nature taking its course. Don't try to learn anything about God's purposes of grace to restore life by looking at birds and flowers. Jesus does not talk that way because Jesus reads the same Bible you and I do. He listens to the voice of the same Father speaking through the same scriptures that say it's not just biology, it is God stepping in with purposes of loyal love and grace far beyond what could be expected or deserved or merited. Do you remember that for 10 years, Ruth was married to a man in Moab and they had no children? and suddenly she marries another man. God works with purposes of grace to restore life. Here in this text, he's giving new life in a family that has experienced so much death. A couple verses later, the women who are gathered around Naomi after the birth of this child named Obed, the women say, not only is God this God who's given food in a time of famine, and here in this case, he's given new life to a family that's experienced so much death. These women say, hmm, God is doing something else too, that through this child, he will be to you, Naomi, a restorer of life. One who causes life to return. Now that's really significant because the last time Naomi commented on God's work in the world, she said, God caused me to return empty. And this is exactly the same language, same verb being used. Yes, God is causing to return, but what's he causing to return? He is causing life to return. We live in a world that is broken in so many ways and it will rob us of life in so many ways. Not every chapter of every person's story will involve food instead of famine. Some stories involve famine. Not every family story will involve the Lord giving conception and children. Ruth's story didn't involve that for the first 10 years of her marriage to another man. But that's the fallen world robbing us of life. God's purposes are purposes of grace to restore life. Don't look at the world and say it's just farming. Don't look at the world and say it's just biology, it's just nature. When you think God is gone, you think he stopped working, or even worse, you think he is working, but his work is intended to drain you dry and leave you empty. Listen to these women standing around Naomi saying, Naomi, he's not causing you to return empty. He is causing life to return The greatest demonstration that God is at work giving grace to restore life is through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Your story, if you follow Jesus, will involve plenty of crucifixion. But it will not end that way. It will also involve plenty of resurrection. God's purposes are purposes of grace to restore life. How's he at work working out those purposes? How does he accomplish these purposes? If you're familiar with Reddit, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, there is a subreddit called Debate Religion. And in that subreddit, uh, someone has posted a question Christians, where has God gone? That's not a lengthy debate, right? This is just kind of a one-paragraph take, essentially saying something like this. Hey, in the Old Testament, God is constantly meddling with stuff. He's always talking to people and giving commandments, working miracles maybe. He's not shy, and you know, Jesus shows up, and he does a lot of miracles, and then God goes silent. And, and kind of in a funny way says, the only thing we hear about God doing in the world now is maybe showing up on a tortilla or, or in somebody's pancake. You know, the face of Jesus on, on your toast or something like that. Kind of a cruddy kind of, kind of miracle. But there's a serious question behind it. And, and this, this uh, person's question just asks, why? why? Why wouldn't God show up? Why did he leave? Why is he gone from the world? It's interesting that this person assumes that God's constant meddling in the universe took these very extraordinary and dramatic shapes throughout the whole Old Testament. But what I want us to see is that's actually not a right reading of the Old Testament. If you're reading the Bible and you're assuming God is constantly meddling in our world, then yes, it is he who gives food to end the famine. It is he who gives conception to Boaz and Ruth. It's not just farming and it's not just biology. God is constantly at work in the world, but how? Is he constantly doing these dramatic, extraordinary miracles that everybody would... No. No, those actually come only at certain moments in the history of the Old Testament. And what the book of Ruth shows us is, is God is at work accomplishing his purposes of grace through ordinary people and the ordinary rhythms of human life, including human plans. Now, important caveat, God does not endorse every human plan, right? Sometimes human make, humans make awful plans, Terrible plans, cruel, unloving, harsh, vengeful, vindictive plans. God does not bless or endorse those, but God works through human plans. Let's look at one of those. It's the plan that Boaz had to show that uh, this other redeemer, who is a closer relative of Naomi and Ruth than Boaz was, and if that closer relative had wanted to claim the property that belonged to Naomi's deceased husband, then he could have. But with it would have come responsibility to care for the deceased man's widow and now his widowed daughter-in-law. And, and Boaz had a plan to demonstrate before the elders of the city that this man has absolutely no intention to care for these widows. If he thinks there's something in it for him to have the land, then he'll take it. But he has no intention to bear responsibility and care for those in need. Boaz had a plan. It was a good plan and it worked. Let's look at that for a minute. Boaz's plan basically uh, it was to ask two kinds of questions. So if you were to read the first uh, few verses of Ruth chapter four, um, Boaz goes up to the city gate Normal to to do a legal transaction in that way. He invites the elders of the city to gather. Um, he invites 10 because that was the, the, the custom. You got to have 10 present for it to uh, be a legal transaction. Well, he does that. And then he invites the other closer relative and he says to him, you know what? Naomi wants to sell this land. Would you like to buy it? Because you're the closest relative. You're closer than me. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll take it. Love to. That's part one of Boaz's plan. Part two is, okay, now that you've established that you're interested in the property, now let me expose before everybody that you have no interest in caring for needy widows. And so he says, oh, by the way, you do realize that if you take this property, You now have to care for Naomi and for Ruth as well. And that closer relative said, I'm out. And the reason he gave was this. um, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. If I have to spend money taking care of these two widows, then my kids will inherit less wealth. I have no interest and caring for other people in a way that adversely affects me. Boaz had a plan to make it clear that this guy's a jerk. In fact, his name is nowhere recorded in the book of Ruth, and the closest he gets to a name would be translated in English, something like Mr. Higgledy-Pickledy. Right, like his, his name is just not even worth remembering. Boaz had a plan, and God used that plan Ruth and Naomi had a plan. If you read back in chapter 3, Naomi says, my daughter, here's a plan. It's a weird plan in our culture. It violates a lot of customs and expectations. I would like for you, a woman, to go ask Boaz to marry you. Strange plan in that culture. I would like you, a Moabite woman, to ask an Israelite man to marry you. That's strange too. I would like you, the younger person, to ask an older man to marry you. That's strange. Normally, the older would be the one taking the initiative. I would like you, the peasant who has to glean the leftovers from the corner of the field to ask the rich landowner. <laughs> that All of this is a weird plan. But it works. And God uses it. God works through human plans. Sometimes plans that would seem to us strange. Outside the norms of our culture. Our custom. He uses human plans. He's at work in our world. He also does use human customs and culture. So for example here. He uses this uh, thing with the sandal. This is an illustration from a recently produced uh, manuscript of the book of Ruth with beautiful paintings to illustrate the Hebrew text. And um, in the ancient world, one way that you showed uh, land transaction was you actually would walk to the piece of property and one party would go, I am claiming this land. And the other party would go, I withdraw my, my right to the land. And so it looks like what had happened in, in Bethlehem at this time is rather than bothering with the whole process of walking out to the piece of land and doing the foot stomp, uh, they just said, here, let's symbolize it. When I hand you my shoe, that's my way of saying I'm taking my foot off the land. I will not interfere with your claim. Uh, and so God uses that custom to confirm this um, transaction. That raises an interesting question for us. Did, did, um, did Boaz buy Ruth? Remember what verse 9 says, your witness is this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to the sons of Naomi and Elimelech. And verse 10 says, also Ruth the Moabite I have bought to be my wife. If you read that and you think, that doesn't sit right with me. People aren't property to be exchanged, purchased. Let me suggest something. First of all, imagine someone showing up in our culture from another century and watching A young man go purchase an engagement ring. He pays a big chunk of money. And then he offers that ring to a woman and she puts it on. And suddenly they're going to be married and nobody has a right to interfere in that relationship. Right? It's a way of signaling. She signals, I don't want any other men pursuing me right now. I'm on a path to marry this guy and it's a way of that guy signaling, I don't want any other women to be approaching me right now in a dating relationship, romantic relationship because we're committed to one another. And that person from the other century watching all this would go, oh, he paid money and bought her. And you'd say, well, no, not, not exactly. Money did exchange hands How much money depends on, you know, if you're still in college and you crash into somebody's car, so the ring fund kind of got depleted by having to pay for insurance. That's another story. Um, from the modern perspective, it looks like Boaz is buying property to do with as he pleases, but from an ancient Israelite perspective, God owns the land. And the people living on the land were just stewards responsible to care for the land and seek its flourishing as part of God's purposes of grace to give life in a fallen world. And that same principle should be applied to how an ancient Israelite like Boaz is thinking of Ruth. I am not acquiring her as a piece of property to do with as I please. I am entering into a relationship where I am responsible to steward before God this person's life in a way that leads to their flourishing as part of his bigger purposes. So we don't want to read our modern understanding of property back into an ancient text with its cultural expectations and its theological grounding. Everybody gathered at that city gate would have known. Boaz is doing the equivalent of of publicly giving the engagement ring and saying, "I I will accept all the responsibility to care for this part of the promised land and I will accept all the responsibility to care for this widow, Naomi, and to care for this woman, Ruth. I'm not acquiring property to do with as I please. I am making a commitment about responsibility to show chesed, loyal love beyond what is required. God works in our world through human plans and human customs and cultures, and he works in our world through human faithfulness. Naomi is faithful throughout this book to seek what is best for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth is faithful throughout this book to seek what is best for her mother-in-law, Naomi. That's why she is praised. Verse 15, these women surrounding Naomi, looking at this baby, Obed, after his birth, and they praise Ruth. And it'd be be hard to praise her more highly than this. Your daughter-in-law loves you, and she is more to you than seven sons. Seven's the number of perfection, right? If you had seven sons, imagine the level of care they would shower on you. And this woman, Ruth, has done more than that. The, the love that Ruth shows to Naomi, the faithfulness, the loyal love that goes beyond what could be expected or required. Boaz is similar. He shows loyal love, right? The closer relative said, I'm out. If it involves me being responsible to care for other people in a way that diminishes my well-being, I'm out. Boaz is not like that. Boaz acts in a way that all the elders at the gate say, we are witnesses. And, he, and they say of Boaz, may you act worthily and may your name be renowned in our city. People who are living under the reign of God's king ought to be the kind of people who are showing faithfulness, loyal love that goes beyond what could be expected beyond what would be legally required. The closer redeemer wasn't required to make this commitment, and so he backed out. Boaz wasn't required. This loyal love goes beyond what could be required or expected. Ruth didn't have to leave her home country and go back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. Interestingly, you see patterns throughout this book of God's law pointing in the same direction. Loyal love beyond what's required. Laws about land redemption so that vulnerable families and widows don't get exposed to a hopeless future. Passages from Leviticus and Deuteronomy that talk about land redemption, that talk about care for widows that even provide for gleaning the corners of a field, which is how Ruth and Boaz met in the first place. God's law is full of texts that say, people, be ready to show this kind of faithfulness, chesed, grace, this loyal love that goes beyond what's required. So is it any surprise that when the king comes, King Jesus, he says, you can fulfill the law by showing loyal love? Show loyal love for God that goes so far beyond what anybody would expect that you dedicate your whole self to Him, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And fulfill God's law by showing loyal love for people that goes so far beyond what's required that people would look at your life and say, It's like you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So is that the answer to this question? How can we be part of God's purposes in our world? Simple, show loyal love. Show chesed as it's defined in God's word. Not everything we would call love is what God's word calls love. And so we have to be clear that that the book of Ruth isn't saying just anything that looks like loyalty to human beings is okay. Because I'm sure that closer redeemer would say, I'm just being loyal to my children. I don't want to threaten their inheritance. Uh, That's not what God calls chesed. (laughs) Show chesed show loyal love as God's word defines it, but here's the thing, you can't do that until you first receive it. God has a purpose to show loyal, life-giving love that restores everything that this broken world is taking away from you and from me. And that purpose, it reaches all the way back to Genesis, which is why the people at the gate talk about Rachel and Leah and they talk about Tamar and Judah. These are people mentioned in the book of Genesis. God is still doing, despite the famine in Bethlehem, what he started back in Genesis. And he's not just doing it through those ancient heroes of the faith, he's doing it through ordinary people like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. They may seem to you and me like these extraordinary heroes But in their own day, they were just regular people showing loyal love as part of this bigger purpose that God has been pursuing from the time of Genesis through the time of King David and ultimately in Jesus. If you wanna know what loyal love that goes beyond what's required looks like, where do you look? you receive what God has done for you through Christ. Across thousands of years, God has shown that kind of loyal love so that you can have life. So that every time you look at your world and you say, God is gone. Every time you look at your world and say, God only shows up in the tortilla. You look at your world and you say, God is draining me dry, he's leaving me empty. you can look at the cross and resurrection of Jesus and say, God has been pursuing me across thousands of years in order to restore through Christ everything that this fallen world robs from me. When you receive that kind of loyal love that can't be shaken over thousands of years and that would give his only son for your redemption. Now you're ready. Now I'm ready to show that kind of loyal love in return. I Want to be part of what God's doing in the world? It has to involve loyal love according to his commandments going beyond what's expected or required The only way to get there is to first receive his love for us through Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being that expression of the Father's loyal love. Grace, chesed, faithfulness, fulfilling everything that God has been doing since the very beginning and doing for us far more than what would've been required, far more than what duty alone would involve. Make us ready to love our neighbors and to love you because we first know how much you have loved us. We pray in your name, amen.